Hello, hello, and welcome to my reinvented podcast, Taboo, where we talk about all the things people are afraid to talk about. If it makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably going to talk about it. Life's too short for ambiguity. So thanks for listening, and here we go. Hello, hello, beautiful soul. Today we are going to be talking about PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome. I am going to put a trigger warning on this episode. There are things that I'm going to say that some people are not ready to hear or don't want to hear, but this is based off of science and the five years that I've been in clinical practice seeing thousands of women. And I'm going to start off by saying that the current statistics estimate that it's about 5 to 10% of U.S. women of childbearing age who have PCOS. So if you extrapolate that and convert it into population numbers, it's about 5 million women. It's one of the most common hormonal endocrine disorders that affect women who are able to reproduce. So PCOS, what is it? You may have heard of it. I'm sure you have friends who are suffering from this, or maybe you yourself are suffering from this. PCOS is categorized and diagnosed by having women meet two of three criteria. The first one is you have irregular periods or no periods, which basically means that you may or may not be ovulating irregularly throughout the year. The second one is you have higher than normal levels of male hormones, so androgens, that may create excess body hair on the face or just excess hair in general, extreme acne, thinning scalp hair. And the third one is that you have multiple small cysts on either one or both ovaries. Just having ovarian cysts is not enough to make a diagnosis for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It just so happens that there are lots of women who don't have PCOS and have cysts on their ovaries. And then there are also women who have PCOS, but they don't have any ovarian cysts. So we're not entirely sure why PCOS happens, but as they continue to collect data and we continue to diagnose women and run labs and treat them, we do realize that the majority of them have some sort of insulin resistance. And um, they believe that that's one of the key factors for it. It's also noticed that metabolic syndrome, which is obesity, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, insulin resistance, or prediabetes, those typical things are twice as common in patients who have PCOS when you compare them to the general population. And patients who have PCOS are four times more likely than the general population to develop type 2 diabetes. So this is why they think that a huge component of it has to do with insulin resistance. So if you've never heard of PCOS, or if you're not sure if you have PCOS, you may be wondering, well, what are some of the symptoms of PCOS or how would I know that I have it? So the most common one would be you don't get your period every month. A lot of women, when you talk to them, they get their period every two, three months. Sometimes they get it twice a year. Maybe that's because they're using birth control like IUDs or they don't get a period at all for years, which is terrible, quite frankly. Another uh, common sign of having PCOS is infertility. Uh, PCOS is actually one of the most common reasons for women to not be able to get pregnant when they're otherwise healthy and they can't figure out what's going on. Obesity. Obesity is definitely a sign of 
uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a huge correlation between diabetes, insulin resistance, and obesity. Uh, the current numbers are estimated that about four in five women with PCOS are obese. People with PCOS may have excessive hair growth on their face, on their chest, on their belly, on their thighs. The medical term for this is hirsutism, and about seven in 10 women with PCOS suffer from this. People with PCOS may also have severe acne, and it may be acne that's resistant to the usual drugs that we use, like doxycycline or Accutane. People with PCOS may have super oily skin. An interesting finding of PCOS, which is correlated to the insulin resistance, is something that we call acanthosis nigricans, which is the medical term for when the skin starts to become thick and raised, it almost feels like a velvety kind of skin and it becomes like hyperpigmented. So typically you'll see this in the armpits, you'll see it on the sides or the back of the neck. And this is basically a sign of insulin resistance, which is why we commonly also see it in people who have PCOS. And then of course you may have some small fluid filled sacs, which would be the little cyst that you can find on the ovaries, which is usually diagnosed when we do a ultrasound of the abdomen or transvaginally. In terms of the infertility rates, about 6 to 12% of women have infertility due to the PCOS. And um, they're not sure exactly what about it makes you infertile. They don't know if it's the insulin resistance or the cysts that are on the ovaries. But that's something that they're doing more studies and they're looking into a little bit deeper. So what causes PCOS? Again, we're not sure. They know there's a correlation between family history. So if you have a mom or a grandma who had PCOS, you're more likely to have it. Your children are more likely to have it. We definitely know that weight plays a factor. And then we also know that insulin resistance does too, which is also part inherited and part a result of your current diet. So there's a little bit of a background about PCOS. Why, why do we care about PCOS? Why is it important? Well, PCOS, when left untreated can lead to a lot of future complications in people's health. Um, some of the most dangerous would be gestational diabetes, which is basically women who are able to get pregnant, they end up getting diabetes during pregnancy. And this puts the baby at high risk, it puts mom at high risk, it can create a lot of complications when it's time to actually give birth to the child. And afterwards in life, women who have gestational diabetes or diabetes while they're pregnant are much more likely to develop diabetes once they've completed the birthing process and the postpartum process. PCOS also puts you at a higher risk for heart disease. It increases your blood pressure. It increases your bad cholesterol and it lowers your good cholesterol, which also leads to higher rates of heart disease. PCOS likely due to its correlation with obesity is also a risk factor for sleep apnea. So a lot of women who have PCOS can end up developing sleep apnea, which leads to a lot of fatigue during the day, a lot of difficulty concentrating, and it just overall lowers your energy, your mental health, and your physical health. PCOS can also increase your risk of having a stroke, which is when you basically have a blood clot that can lodge itself into the brain and leave the brain without oxygen for a period of time, and that usually leads to permanent side effects, but if you're lucky, it can be pretty mild, but still something that you wanna avoid altogether. 
Interestingly enough, PCOS is also linked to depression and anxiety. Of course, science doesn't really know why, but they're studying it and trying to figure it out. I would assume that a big component of it is probably the hormone imbalances that we see, and then also the self-esteem and the self-image conflicts that arise in women who have PCOS. So now that we know a little bit about why it's important to treat PCOS, I'm going to talk about the modern day treatments, which currently are what I feel slapping band-aids on the actual problem instead of getting to the root of the issue. So if you have PCOS, you may be familiar with some of these medications. Typically, you'll go see your gynecologist or you'll see your primary care doctor and you'll tell them, hey, my periods aren't really regular. I'm not really getting a period the way that I want to. Or, hey, I'm having all this extra hair growth on my face. I have this darkening on my neck. It makes me really uncomfortable. And they'll probably run some blood work, take a look at everything. And then regardless of the results, they'll probably start you on some sort of birth control pill. If you have bad acne, they'll start you on spironolactone. If your blood sugar comes out high or your A1C, which is an indicator for diabetes or prediabetes, if that's elevated, they usually put people on metformin. And more and more commonly, I'm even seeing girls who have totally normal blood sugars also being put on metformin. And whenever I ask them why, they're like, oh, my doctor didn't want me to end up getting diabetes, which is a pretty interesting way to treat something because it's almost like you're trying to do preventative medicine, but you're really not because you're still treating them with metformin. So a lot of us in the medical community, we all have mixed opinions. I feel like if you line up 10 of us and you ask us what our thoughts are and how would we treat it, we'll each tell you something different. And that's pretty common for most of medicine. But I'm here really to talk about the treatment for PCOS. And by treatment, I mean ways that you can prevent this, ways that you can fix it, ways that you can reverse it. Yes, reverse it. Just like diabetes, just like high blood pressure, there is a huge chunk of women who have been put into this PCOS category. And unfortunately, Western medicine has told them, we're really sorry to tell you this, but you've been diagnosed with PCOS. And these women go home and they think that there's nothing they can do except take whatever medications they're given for the rest of their life. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. I have seen other patients and I have treated patients who have changed their lifestyle, changed their overall health and wellness, and they have been able to completely reverse their PCOS and take no medications and live normal lives. So how can you help your PCOS symptoms be alleviated or how can you minimize your PCOS or possibly even reverse it? The number one tried and true method is weight loss. As you've noticed a trend in this podcast, the majority of the symptoms that we see with PCOS are tied to insulin resistance. Insulin resistance comes from gaining a lot of weight. As we become more and more obese, our body becomes more and more resistant to insulin. And so our glucose levels continue to rise in the body. And this makes it really hard for women to lose weight. This also makes it really hard to lower our blood sugar. And this is what eventually leads to the development of things like prediabetes or diabetes. The next thing that you can do to decrease PCOS symptoms is exercise. And that's probably because it also not only one helps your mental health, but it also helps your physical health and will help with your weight loss. 20 minutes of any kind of movement you want, dancing in your room, boxing, jumping rope, 
going for a walk with friends, going for a walk alone, doing yoga, going for a run, HIIT training, weightlifting, you name it. Something where you are moving your body, where your body is generating heat. That is an excellent idea for you to try. I recommend 20 minutes of exercise every day for every single one of my patients. Exercise is what keeps our bodies young. It keeps us limber. It helps with our mental health. It helps us release endorphins. It improves our mood. I can go on and on and on about the benefits of exercise. But for this episode, what's relevant about exercise is that it definitely will help you increase your hormonal balances, decrease your weight, and just help you feel better overall. Number three, and this one's hard for people, I get it. Remove toxins from your lifestyle. I always tell patients, we're all addicted to something, but you wanna do your best to make sure that what you're addicted to is something that's helping you. So maybe you get an addiction to working out. Maybe you get an addiction to reading. Maybe you get an addiction to sleeping. Choose something that is going to help your body. Alcohol, cigarettes, vape pens, hookah, and the majority of the things that are associated in our society as normal parts of nightlife and social activities are full of toxins. I had a friend who had terrible acne all over her back. And I remember she kept asking me like, oh, I'm not sure why I have this. What do you think I should do about it? I've seen all these dermatologists. I keep trying all these medications, all these creams. Nothing's really working. Help. And I started asking her questions about her diet. I started asking her about questions about her exercise and what she did for fun. And I realized that she was drinking four or five nights out of the week. And I was like, look, I don't know if you're going to like this. I don't know if you'll be able to do it. But I highly, highly recommend that you cut back on your alcohol or get rid of it altogether. I saw her like four months later, she had stopped drinking to see if it would work and her entire back acne cleared up. As wonderful as some of us think alcohol is, it is a toxin. If you've ever met anybody who suffers from the Asian flush, they are the physical proof that alcohol is a toxin that needs to be metabolized by our body. Fortunately or unfortunately for us, most people drink alcohol and we don't see what it's doing to our body. You may feel it when you're hungover the next day and you feel terrible, but you're not physically seeing how that manifests. But that Asian flush, that red sensation, those splotchy patches of redness that appear on people who are intolerant or have a difficult time processing alcohol, imagine what it's doing to the inside of our bodies. And most of us drink this every day or every weekend or every social gathering. So I highly, highly challenge you to get rid of those toxins from your lifestyle and see how that helps regulate your hormones, your overall physical health, your emotional health, and just total well-being. This one's much easier than the lifestyle. It's getting a good night of sleep every night. I'm sure many of you know that the recommended time that we should be sleeping is seven to eight hours each night. So do your best to go to sleep early. Do your best to not scroll on social media or any platforms before bed. Do your best to get that full recommended amount of sleep each night because it's crucial to our body's tissue and cellular repair mechanisms. That's why when we're sick, usually we just want to lay down and rest and sleep. That's how our body heals. It's how our body recovers. It's how our muscles heal. It's how we get rid of lactic acid. And so just allowing yourself those seven or eight hours 
to truly rest each night and be in a profound state of sleep and go through all of the REM cycles that we need will allow your body to help regulate its hormones, will allow your mind to calm down so you're less stressed and less anxious, and that will also help minimize the symptoms that you have with PCOS. Last but not least, one of the best things that you can do to improve your PCOS symptoms, and this one I think takes the cake, it's eating foods to help balance out your hormones. And this, I want to go into detail on this one because this is really the bread and butter of weight loss, of making sure that our bodies are hormonally balanced, of mental health. There are tons of studies that are already published that show a huge correlation between our mental health and the foods that we eat. I love that saying. It's an old saying. It says, you are what you eat. And it is so true. All of the foods, every bite of food, every ounce of liquid that we drink is what is being used to create the new cells in our body, to replenish things that we're depleting. And so it is important and the most the most imperative thing that we can do for our health is make sure that what we're eating is something that's actually helping us. So this is definitely something I see in women all the time. We love to do these fad diets and we love to do these caloric restrictions. And I just wanna make sure that I am very clear when I say we need to eat enough calories. Our bodies are especially sensitive to scarcity. If our body doesn't feel like it's getting enough food, we start down-regulating the production of sex hormones. We start down-regulating most of our normal functions because our body thinks something's happening to us. It's wondering, why am I not eating? Think of your body like a car. If you've listened to my previous episodes, cars run on gas. Your body should be running on premium fuel, not Taco Bell and McDonald's. Unfortunately, our bodies don't know the difference between a war, famine, or a new weight loss diet that we're trying. And so that's why it's so important to make sure that we're getting the right amount of calories that we need to perform our daily bodily functions. So what do I mean when I say eating foods that help balance your hormones? I'm going to tell you. The next thing that you should do aside from making sure you're eating enough calories is make sure you're eating a lot of protein. I guarantee you the majority of you listening to this can increase the amount of protein that you're eating. Protein helps a ton with weight loss and regulating our hormones because protein takes longer to digest. So it helps keep you full for a longer amount of time. It also influences the release of leptin and ghrelin. And these are the two hormones that control our body letting us know I'm hungry or I'm full or you should eat more, or I'm not really hungry right now, I don't need that. So make sure that you're eating a lot of protein. The next thing you should do is try to eat nutrient-rich, complex, and high-fiber carbohydrates. So this basically means stop eating tons of rice, white breads, pastas. You want something that's a complex, healthy carbohydrate because these help stabilize our blood sugar and reduce cortisol levels. Cortisol is the hormone that's released when we're stressed, and most of us already live in chronic states of stress due to our job, our families, our lifestyles, you know, the rat race. So making sure that we're eating foods like these is really helpful. You also want them to be high fiber carbohydrates because fiber is really hard for our body to digest, 
And because fiber is not broken down into sugar, it doesn't tend to raise our blood sugar levels the way that other carbohydrates can. The next thing you want to do is make sure you're incorporating high quality natural fats into the diet. So no, this does not mean go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. This means incorporate fats like avocados. Eating a lot of healthy fats lowers your insulin resistance and curbs your appetite. There's a bunch of studies that already show that consuming healthy fat at mealtime can trigger the release of hormones that help you feel like you're fully satisfied when you're eating instead of eating and 20 minutes later being like, I'm still hungry, I feel like I didn't even eat. So I've done a lot of research on this because like I said, I see so many women who struggle with this. I am not a dietitian and I am not a nutritionist, but if you go online and you do your own research, you will see that most dietitians and nutritionists agree that the best foods for balancing out your hormones include things like eggs, foods that are high in omega-3s like chia seeds, flax seeds, fatty fish like salmon, trout, sardines, chicken breast. And I want to take a moment here to note that if you're buying meat, make sure that you are investing in high quality meats, in meats that don't have any added hormones, in meats that undergo minimal processing. These things like pasture raised and grass fed, they matter. All the hormones that are put into the animals, when we consume them, we are then consuming those same hormones and that same treatment that they received while they were alive. And if you believe in energy work and the passing on of energies between people and life forms, if you eat an animal that was in a cage its entire life and sad and depressed, those same energies are passed on to that food when you consume it. So even though, yes, the chicken may be $3 more or the steak may be a little bit more expensive, I always tell my patients, pay now or pay later. I would rather pay for quality food that I know was treated with kindness and respect and know that I am helping local farms, I am helping avoid factory processing, and I am minimizing my carbon footprint here on this planet. Because when you see factory farming and you watch the documentaries of how the majority of these factories are treating their animals, it's truly heartbreaking. Back to some of the best foods for balancing your hormones. I want to add here leafy greens. So spinach, Swiss chard, collard greens, kale. All of those are really great at balancing out your hormones. They're high in tons of vitamins and minerals that we need for most of our reproductive needs. Cruciferous vegetables. So that's a fancy term for the family of vegetables that includes broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, kale, collard greens, cauliflower, turnips, all of those are great. I really tell patients, try to eat all the vegetables and a broad variety. That saying, eat the rainbow, is so true. Quinoa. Quinoa is a great replacement for rice, for pasta, for all the starches that we try to get rid of. It is a superfood. It is excellent for you. It keeps you full for a long time, probably due to its protein content. And it's a great way to sneak in those healthy nutrients that we need in our diet. Avocados, those are great. They're full of the good kind of fat. They keep you full for a long period of time. They taste great. So if you like avocados, highly recommend. And last but not least, 
nuts. Nuts are wonderful. They're high in omega-3s. They're high in minerals that we need, and they also will help balance out your hormones. The bottom line is hormones impact our growth, our development, our digestion, our stress levels, our fertility, our metabolism, our mood, our energy, how hungry we are, our weight, and so much more. Eating a diet that is high in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, healthy fats, lots of protein, lots of fiber will be the best way to optimize your hormones and help them find that balanced sweet spot. Entering caloric deficits, trying fad diets, not eating enough calories, not eating enough fiber, not eating enough of good fats will definitely disrupt your hormone levels and can lead to all of the conditions that we know are associated with PCOS. And these include obesity, diabetes, infertility, and even cancer. Not sleeping enough, chronic states of stress, too much alcohol, too much processed food. These things all throw off our hormones directly or indirectly. And they definitely alter our gut flora or our microbiome, which keeps our hormones in a constant state of flow. So if you're not already, I also recommend starting on a daily women's multivitamin and some kind of probiotic. Go on Amazon, check out user reviews, find the top selling products and see, are they really good? Look at the ingredients and determine if this sounds like something that would be appropriate for you. If you're not sure, you can always consult with your doctor. But I definitely think that PCOS is something that is super overdiagnosed. There is a small percentage of women who I think truly have PCOS and some of these are not obese. They don't have any insulin resistance, but they do struggle with irregular periods, infertility. And so this is not to say PCOS doesn't exist. It definitely does. This is just to shed light that I think this is a diagnosis that is being put on women for literally any woman who has an irregular period, they're like, mm, PCOS. And then they just start people on medications. And if you truly want to be part of a preventive healthcare system, if you truly want to help people heal themselves, and you truly want to empower people to take control of their own lives, which is why I made this podcast, I encourage you to try the things that I said. So in summary, how can you fix your PCOS? How can you improve your PCOS? If you're overweight, lose weight. If you don't exercise, start moving. 20 minutes a day, that's all you need. Remove toxins from your lifestyle. Cut back on alcohol, smoking, hookah, vape pens. Make sure you're getting a good amount of sleep. And try to incorporate a broad variety of fruits, vegetables, high fiber, high protein, and healthy fats into your diet. The combination of all of these things will help your entire well-being, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, and you will become a much better person overall in terms of how you feel, how your body reacts, your agility, your strength, your moods, your energy levels, and so much more. So if this is you, if you're struggling with PCOS, or if you have a friend or a family member who's struggling with PCOS, Please share this information with them. All of this information is available online. We don't have to be victims of our diagnoses. We can take those diagnoses and we can actively work on them to remove them. They are just titles. They do not define us. 
So I hope this helps. I hope you learned something. If you have any feedback, commentary, or suggestions, feel free to DM me at Chris Alec. I hope you have a wonderful day or night wherever you may be. Until next time, take care.